MSW Media. News with swearing. Daily beans, daily beans. Daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Tuesday, September 29th, 2020. Today, a recently demoted Trump campaign manager, Brad Parscale, is tackled by police for brandishing a gun and threatening suicide as well as alleged domestic violence. Channel 4 in Britain uncovers an incredible story about the Trump campaign tracking over 3.5 million black voters to target for deterrence in the 2016 election. And did Flynn, his lawyer, Sidney Powell, or the Department of Justice alter Peter Strzok's FBI notes in the Flynn case? The Second Circuit Court of Appeals hears arguments in the Mazars case. Trump and Caputo spend $300 million in taxpayer money for an ad campaign downplaying the seriousness of COVID. More current and former Trump officials speak out against the administration. And Fox News wins a lawsuit on the premise that no one can take Tucker Carlson seriously. I'm your host, A.G. Hey, everyone. A big, big show today. Uh, I'm going to be speaking with the co-founder of the Democratic Coalition and the host of the Dworkin Report podcast, Scott Dworkin. We're going to be talking about the New York Times Trump tax return story. There's a lot there to unpack, as you know. They've been covering it mainstream media all day, and uh, we covered it yesterday for you and last night uh, on the podcast. We actually released it early for the first time in the history of the podcast because we thought the news was so big. Uh, Also, I'll be speaking with the Democratic candidate for the U.S. House of Representatives in New York's 27th District, Nathan McMurray, for for the Flip It Blue segment. And we have a lot of breaking news, as well as the headlines that we have to catch up on from yesterday because the New York Times story dropped. We have a lot to get to. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. Our lead story today comes out of the U.K. on Channel 4. Quote, Donald Trump has long ignored the voice of black voters in America, and now we can reveal how he has actively tried to silence them. We've obtained a database used by Donald Trump's 2016 presidential campaign, a vast collection of files on almost 200 million U.S. citizens. It shows how they split millions of Americans into different categories that could be micro-targeted with tailored ads on Facebook and other social media sites and categorized 3.5 million black Americans for deterrence in the hopes that they wouldn't return they wouldn't turn out to vote at all. It was a strategy that collapsed the black vote in key states like Wisconsin that secured a Trump victory. Tens of thousands of black voters in, in Milwaukee, for example, did not turn out to vote for Hillary Clinton. And Channel 4 can reveal for the first time that many of them were targeted specifically by the Trump campaign, not to win their votes, but to get them to stay home on election day. For millions and millions of voters, highly personal information was bought, analyzed, and utilized, all legal under current United States law. They knew whether you're likely to own a dog or a gun, whether you're likely to get married or planning a baby. There was even a score for personality type. Nearly five terabytes of data they used to divide the country into different groups Uh, In 16 battleground states, the algorithm placed voters in one of eight categories. There was most likely to turn out, that's a strong Hillary base and a strong Trump base, that's two of the categories for either candidate. Those least likely to vote were marked as deadbeats. And and then there were two additional categories for deadbeats for each candidate. And then in the middle were those open to persuasion. The middle group was labeled either get out the vote for Trump and deterrence for Clinton. 
And these are voters who could be encouraged not to vote using ads over Facebook based on their personality types, who they are, and a bunch of other demographics. This machine, uh, data machine, this database, was built in part by Cambridge Analytica, working in hand-in-hand with the RNC. Now, I, Channel 4 here says that none of this was illegal. It also depends on who funded this, right? So we have to look at that, too. We have to think about who funded Cambridge Analytica. In those swing states, back to, back to their uh, story here, they say, in those swing states, black voters were disproportionately categorized for deterrence. Uh, in Georgia, black people made up 32% of the population, but 61% were marked for deterrence. In North Carolina, 22% of the population is black, but 41% were marked for deterrence. And in Michigan, for example, the population uh, is 15% of uh, black people and 33% were marked for deterrence. Uh, Wisconsin was one of Trump's key targets. 70% of the black people who live in Wisconsin live in Milwaukee. Many blamed Hillary for campaigning there in April and never coming back. And on Election Day 2016, the turnout of black voters in Wisconsin collapsed by almost 20%. The margin of victory there was only 23,000 votes. Trump boasted that black voters helped him win when, in fact, he paid to keep them home and stop them from voting at all. More than a third of black voters in Wisconsin were marked for deterrence. Uh, Channel 4 was able to find out who specifically in Wisconsin was marked for deterrence and how many black voters that were targeted actually stayed at home. For example, there were 1,440 voters total in Ward 116. 80% of those 1440 were black and 44% of those black voters were marked for deterrence by the Trump campaign. That's 636 black voters marked for deterrence. Only 36% of them voted. And turnout for the precinct as a whole fell from 75% in 2012 to just 56% in 2016. Similar numbers were found across multiple wards in Wisconsin. Um, the message in these micro-targeted ads for these specific voters included the HRC, the Hillary Rodham Clinton super predators quote, um, the crime bill stuff, um, that fake ad where the the black woman was saying that she was going to vote for Hillary Clinton, but then had to cut filming the ad and saying, I just can't, I just don't believe it. And then stop Hillary comes up on the screen. That was an ad that was uh, targeted to, to this uh, deterrence, people marked for deterrence. Um, and then, of course, continually telling them that they don't care about you. She didn't come back when, in the campaign. She only showed up one time and she never continued to, she never returned to, to campaign in your state because she doesn't care about you. And black turnout, um, it fell for the first time in 20 years because of that micro-targeting event. That's 20 years. So to say this had no impact is just simply incorrect. And this didn't just happen in Wisconsin. This report goes on to talk about it happening in all these 16 battleground states. Uh, they go on to say, quote, we can't tell you how many ads were targeted at black voters in 2016 on Facebook because Facebook won't tell us. They are keeping that a secret. What we know is the Trump campaign spent $44 million on Facebook for over 6 million different ads. And who was Trump's digital director of data in 2016? None other than Brad Parscale. And we know that Parscale lied to Congress when Jackie Spear asked him if he and the campaign had targeted black voters. And he said no. Brad Parscale was hired to manage the entire campaign for Trump in 2020, but was recently demoted this summer after the Tulsa rally debacle. And just last night, Brad Parscale barricaded himself in his Fort Lauderdale home, brandished a gun, and threatened suicide. The police were called, 
he was uh he came out of the house he was told to get down on the ground he did not comply he was tackled and detained um because the officers noticed bruises on his wife's face and they actually asked a neighbor um who had noticed the bruise the bruises on her arms and in the 911 call, the answer about the bruises on the arms is redacted. But in the police report, it says that those bruises were given to her two days prior by Brad Parscale. And she did not file a report. So then Brad Parscale, the, cop, the cops handed him over to the Broward County Health Center for suicide watch under the Baker Act. And that's where he is right now. We do not have news of charges being filed, though I expect to see them any time. But what threw him into a rage? Did he, is this just the thing that he does? Did he receive a target letter from federal prosecutors alerting him to the fact he's being charged with 18 U.S. Code Section 1001 in light of this new reporting out from Channel 4? Because we can now show with evidence that he lied to Congress because of this reporting that came out today. Or is it something else? Now, we'll be watching this story for you. We'll keep you updated. The major networks are not really carrying it. Uh, but it would be a very weird coincidence that the Channel 4 reporting comes out just as Parscale breaks down. And also, this is just breaking, coming across my desk right now. There is a letter sent to the Honorable Emmett Sullivan, that is the judge in the Flynn case, and this is regarding United States v. Michael Flynn, case number 17CR, TAC 232, and this is from Aiton Goldman. This is one of Peter Strzok's attorneys. As you know, Peter Strzok is suing for wrongful termination. And if you haven't watched the Comey Rule yet, watch it. It's out now. Tonight is night two. You can get both nights on demand now. It's a two-night, it's a two-part miniseries. So let me just read this letter to you um, because this is major. In fact, I was it was a toss-up as to what the lead was. That Channel 4 stuff, though, is crazy. So here is the uh, letter from Strzok's attorney to Emmett Sullivan, Judge Emmett Sullivan. Dear Judge Sullivan, I write on behalf of my client, former FBI Special Agent Peter Strzok, on September 24th, 2020, in the case of United States uh, v. Michael T. Flynn, uh, counsel for defendant Michael Flynn filed a supplement to a previously filed motion to dismiss. The attachments to this filing include both notes written by Mr. Strzok as well as text messages sent or received by Mr. Strzok. Okay, so I'm just going to let you know really quick here. You know, a while back, there, you know, we, we've got through all this thing. The, 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 the en banc court has decided um, that, uh, that Sullivan can determine whether or not to dismiss this case. And then Sidney Powell filed another motion to dismiss. And she just filed uh, on September 24th, just last week, she filed a supplement to that motion to dismiss. And that supplement included handwritten notes by Peter Strzok, as well as text messages from Peter Strzok, to help bolster her case that there was evidence the government didn't turn over, the prosecution didn't turn over, that shows that the the, the, the investigation into... Flynn was didn't have the proper predicate to even be opened. And the note, the letter continues. Some of Mr. Strzok's notes included in the attachment appear to have been altered. On at least two occasions, there were handwritten additions not written by Mr. Strzok, inserting dates, apparently designed to indicate the date or dates on which the notes were written. 
On at least one occasion, the date added is wrong and could be read to suggest that a meeting at the White House happened before it actually did. I'm attaching this letter, uh, attaching to this letter, a copy of these two pages of notes with the highlighting indicating the handwritten notations that Mr. Strzok did not write. I also note that the texts of Mr. Strzok's that were sent and attached to the defendant's pleadings include portions that had not previously been released and have nothing to do with the Flynn case or, more broadly, with the Department of Justice. Finally, Mr. Flynn's filing appears to violate the court's order not to file any additional supplements to pending motions until the government's Brady production is complete. Respectfully submitted, Aiton Goldman. So, uh, that's massive news. If, in fact, Flynn or Sidney Powell or the Department of Justice who gave these documents to Flynn and Sidney Powell were altered, that is a major crime. Uh, That's not fucking around. Uh, Right now, we know Klein Smith altered an email who uh, was an FBI lawyer regarding the Carter Page FISA, and he's pled guilty, pleaded guilty, faces prison time for that alteration. So yeah, falsifying documents, court documents, and federal government documents. Bad news. And they have proof. They have receipts. Uh, Kyle Cheney has tweeted them out. We'll, can, we'll include them in our newsletter so that you can see those handwritten notes. So that's very interesting. We'll keep an eye on that story for you and see how Judge Emmett Sullivan responds. I am guessing he probably won't be too happy. We could see superseding indictments on Flynn if he's the one who altered him. We could see new indictments on Sidney Powell if she's the one who altered him. We could see an investigation into the Department of Justice by the Inspector General Horowitz if they altered them. My guess is that uh, Sullivan's going to want to get to the the bottom of who did that. And in the Second Circuit Court regarding Trump's opposition to Manhattan District Attorney Cy Vance's Mazar's subpoena in his investigation into tax insurance and business fraud, there's some news here from Kyle Cheney and Josh Gerstein of Politico. Quote, President Donald Trump's drive to block Manhattan prosecutors from accessing a large swath of his tax and financial records got a chilly reception Friday from the federal appeals court. Three judges on the New York-based Second Circuit Court of Appeals repeatedly questioned Trump attorney William Consovoy and his claim that Manhattan DA Cy Vance's grand jury subpoena for Trump's records was overbroad and issued in retaliation for the Trump organization's resistance to an earlier demand for Trump's tax returns. Okay. Trump's case did not go well in this hearing. (laughs) Um, They actually said it was Consovoy who seemed to be misconstruing long-settled understandings about how grand jury subpoenas and investigations work. Quote, are you asking us to change the way grand juries have done their work for time immemorial just because we're dealing with somebody who's president of the United States? Wondered Judge Robert Katzman, a Bill Clinton appointee. During the virtual arguments before the court, Consovoy insisted... Uh, The demand for eight years of Trump's tax returns, as well as information of business from Washington to Indonesia, showed a probe unmoored from legitimate bounds. Quote, if you were to look up the definition of a fishing expedition, this is it, Consovoy declared. The district attorney isn't focused on anything. 
The one judge on the panel who sounded somewhat sympathetic to Trump's uh, lawyer's argument was Obama appointee Raymond Lohier. He suggested at one point narrowing the subpoena from eight years to five, excluding foreign entities and excluding foreign entities. And what's interesting about that, excluding foreign entities, and I have to highlight this as I speak the words, because what that says to me, we just got two plus decades of Trump's tax returns. It is my beans, and I don't have any proof of this, that those were obtained from the Manhattan DA's office, from somebody who legally obtained them in this investigation, probably from Deutsche Bank. He's had these documents for over a year. That indicates to me, if that is true, which I do not have proof of, I am just guessing, if that is true, then that means the Mazar's documents are needed for something other than just the tax returns. Which then says to me, now we're on step three of something that's based on just conjecture, but step three logical conclusion would be, is it the foreign connections? And is that why this particular judge just admitted to everyone in the world that they're looking at foreign entities and Trump's connections to them? Very interesting, right? That's a lot of beans based on a lot of beans. And all the beans could come tumbling down if the first assumption is wrong. But there you have it. And uh, so, the, you know, the, this judge said, uh, what if we narrowed it to five years? Would that be something you could live with? I don't think so, Consovoy replied, saying that it wouldn't address the president's claim of retaliation. So he's like, all right, OK, maybe it's not overbroad, uh, but retaliation. Or Trump's argument, the issue relating to the Washington Hotel, were no business of the Manhattan-based district attorney. So that also says that they're looking at the Washington Hotel which also suggests foreign entities. Hmm. <laughs> clues, clues. Everywhere's clues. The unwillingness to compromise seemed to underscore that the critical political question, oh, I like that, critical political question, that's like the incredible edible egg, uh, in this dispute at the moment may be less whether Vance prevails, but when. While Vance's office has been careful not to tie the case to any political calendar, or considerations, if his team can obtain the records in the next few weeks, it is possible criminal charges could be brought before the November election and have some impact on the race. But that window is rapidly closing, particularly given the unusual high number of voters expected to vote early this year due to the coronavirus pandemic. Vance lawyer Kerry Dunn steered clear of imputing any political urgency, which stalled for more than, you know, which stalled for more than half a year as the Trump team took a claim of absolute presidential immunity to the Supreme Court. And lost. The justices unanimously turned that argument down in July, but said Trump could still pursue other arguments. Dunn did suggest that Trump's team, team's tack was transparent. It's basically achieving delay, said Dunn. The sharp questions from the judges for Consovoy portend a likely ruling that Vance may enforce a subpoena against Mazars USA. Trump, that's Trump's accounting firm for wide-ranging investigation into Trump organization business practices. One of Trump's complaints before the appeals court is that it's overbroad. It simply mimics the congressional subpoena, but that argument seemed to have little resonance with the judges. Trump's legal team argued the Manhattan DA's investigation is focused solely on the hush money payments because that's how the initial subpoena seemed to be framed, but Dunn rejected that conclusion. 
It's a non sequitur. There's no logical reason to assume the earlier subpoena defines the scope of the investigation as opposed to the latter subpoena. Consovoy insisted that it was plausible that the probe was still limited in that way, so the latest subpoena should be kept on hold while the president's lawsuit proceeds. But Dunn called that preposterous. It's not true, he said. I can't help but say we're through the looking glass here. The judges seem to struggle Friday with the Trump team's claim as well, that the investigation has remained static. Quote, as we, I think, all know, grand jury investigations grow more and more information, is, uh, grow and more information comes in. That's a natural presumption. The third judge on the panel, Clinton appointee Laval, seemed the most skeptical of Trump's arguments. Laval said he saw nothing at all strange about the DA seeking information on Trump's global business income since it would all have to be reported on his New York tax return. To say that a district attorney and grand jury investigating fraud and tax can only look at a business operation that were that were conducted in Manhattan and not Queens and not D.C. and not Indonesia and not any of the other places covered by the tax returns, that seems to be far-fetched. And there's another clue, isn't there? Indonesia. Mm-hmm. It appears the court panel upholds the lower court. If the appeals court panel upholds the lower court decision tossing out Trump's renewed suit, Trump could appeal to the full Second Circuit on bonk, but that would be soundly rejected and would only be part of a larger delay tactic. Trump is likely to appeal to SCOTUS, yet another reason he's trying to get his nomination through, but that was a unanimous decision rejecting his ass the first time. I don't think getting another judge on there is going to make a difference. The court will likely reject his arguments. But only four votes are needed to hear the case, which could further delay the subpoena. I suspect stays will continue to be granted at each step, but I'm only basing that on the fact that every stay has been granted in favor of the president in these matters. And when some fucking bullshit, you know, news organization comes out and says, Manhattan DA puts a subpoena on hold, all that means is <laughs> what's going to happen is... Trump's side is going to ask SCOTUS for a stay, and he's going to appeal to SCOTUS, and SCOTUS will say, we're going to grant the stay temporarily. Here's the date for the hearing. And then uh, b- before that decision comes out, Vance might come forward and say, well, you don't even have to ask for a stay. The Supreme Court has just said that this is the date, or en banc has said this is the date. We're not going to enforce the subpoena until then no stay needed and then everybody's going to freak out and say vance gives up the whole fucking case don't listen just come here for your news please also um the hhs is seeking to start a public awareness campaign before election day would largely conceived and organized by mike caputo former kremlin agent health department's top spokesperson who just took medical leave last week and announced thursday he had been diagnosed with cancer Caputo, who has no medical or scientific background whatsoever, he does have a very big background in being a Kremlin agent, claimed in a Facebook video on September 13th the campaign was demanded of me by the President of the United States personally. And this is the HHS ad blitz campaign they're spending $300 million on. The Democrats, and by the way, their conjugal media and the leftist scientists that are working for the government, are dead set against it. Caputo told his Facebook followers on a September 13th video, they cannot afford for us to have any good news before November because they're already losing. They're going to come after me because I'm going to be putting $250 million worth of ads on the air. This campaign is indeed under investigation by Democrats who have charged that the massive ad blitz is an attempt to boost Trump's standing on COVID before the election and have unsuccessfully called on HHS to halt the contract. 
Ten current and former health officials told Politico they have concerns about the campaign's scope, goals, and even how it's been funded. By pulling money out of health agencies like the Centers for Disease Control that are in the midst of fighting the pandemic, rather than working with lawmakers to set up brand new advertising, uh, you know, with congressional oversight or drawing on substantial internal resources and expertise. Former Obama HHS official Josh Peck says the CDC um, hasn't yet done an awareness campaign on COVID guidelines, but they're going to pay for a campaign about how to get rid of our despair run by political appointees in the press shop right before an election. It's like every red flag I can dream of, he said. I mean, I don't know. Sounds like Russian propaganda to me. That's what they're pushing in Russia. And current federal prosecutor has spoken up. A current federal prosecutor has spoken up publicly against Bill Barr, saying he has brought shame on the Department of Justice. James Herbert, he's an assistant U.S. attorney for the District of Massachusetts, wrote a letter published in the Boston Globe saying he wanted to speak out against unprecedented politicization of the Office of the Attorney General. ABC News confirmed the authenticity of the letter. The letter is significant because even though several former officials have spoken out against Barr, it's highly unusual for a current federal prosecutor to criticize the attorney general publicly. In the letter, he made sure to emphasize he was speaking only for himself. Quote, while I'm a federal prosecutor, I'm writing to express my own views, clearly not those of the department, on a matter that should concern all citizens, the unprecedented politicization of the office of the attorney general. The attorney general acts as though his job is to serve only the political interests of Donald Trump. This is a dangerous abuse of power. He also suggests the final straw that led him to break protocol and speak out publicly was Barr's speech at Hillsdale College earlier this month. And during the speech, Barr harshly criticized his own Justice Department and its workers, claiming they were often motivated by politics and went headhunting for high-profile targets. While speaking at the conservative-leaning school, Barr dismissed those who say he's too personally involved in cases involving Trump. What exactly am I interfering with, Barr said. Under the law, all prosecutorial power is invested in the attorney general. Ugh, that's creepy. And in a related story, Robert Cardillo, former deputy director of the Defense Intelligence Agency and ex-director of National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, spoke out against Trump on Friday in an op-ed published in the Denver Post. Since I've been eligible to vote, he says, I have never registered with a party. I remain independent with a history of voting for candidates I believe in. I focus on their policy and not their party. Before this election, I've never spoken out for or against a candidate for any office, but I can be silent no longer. He says, broadly speaking, he can attest Americans were very well served by those they elected to fill critical national security positions, with the exception of one, Donald Trump. I have briefed him up close. I have seen and felt the effects of his faults on our nation's security. Out of respect for the, con- the confidential nature of Oval Office conversations, I will not provide details, but to suffice to say, the person you see presiding over COVID-19 press conferences is the same one in the privacy of his office. He has little patience for facts or data that do not comport with his personal worldview. Thus, the conversations are erratic and less than fully thoughtful. Underli- un- unlike other presidents he served under, Trump puts more weight on the word of dictators, like Vladimir Putin, than the U.S. intelligence community. Our current president bases a decision on instincts, and his instincts are based upon personal value proposition. What's in it for me? We must elect a thoughtful, moral, reasonable, respectful, responsible leader on November 3rd. Our current president is not that leader. And finally, a Manhattan judge has tossed out a defamation lawsuit against Fox News brought by the former Playboy model who took a $150,000 payoff to squelch her story after an affair with Donald Trump, Karen McDougal. She had alleged in the suit filed late last year that Fox host Tucker Carlson slandered her by calling the payout a classic case of extortion. 
U.S. District uh, Court Judge Mary Kay, uh, let's see, Viscosal, I believe is how it's pronounced. She ruled on Thursday McDougal failed to prove that Carlson was accusing her of an actual crime in a way that would back up a defamation claim. The judge said the lawyers for Fox persuasively argued that any reasonable viewer arrives with an appropriate amount of skepticism about the statements Carlson makes. The judge called the on-air remarks rhetorical hyperbole and opinion commentary intended to frame a political debate and as such are not actionable as defamation. So Fox News can't be sued because you're not supposed to believe anything Fucker Carlson says. That's the actual argument they made in court. Fox made. You, what? You can't sue him for defamation. Everybody knows he's full of shit. Wow. That's pretty impressive, Fox News. We'll be right back with the Flip It Blue segment. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG for The Daily Beans. During these economically turbulent times, everyone's looking for a way to feel more financially secure. So if you're in needlessly throwing money every month at high-interest credit card debt, it is time to check out Upstart. This is a revolutionary online lending platform that knows you're more than just your credit score. Now's the time to find out how low your Upstart rate can be to help you consolidate and pay off high-interest credit card debt. Unlike other lenders, Upstart can reward you based on your education and your job history, who you are, in the form of a smarter interest rate. You do not need a degree or diploma to apply, though. Upstart lets you skip going to the bank because it's completely online and they offer loans from a thousand to fifty thousand dollars so you can consolidate your debt in one easy fixed rate payment upstart makes it fast and simple to check your rate since it's just a soft pull it won't hit your credit score either the hard pull only happens if you accept the rate and proceed with your application and the best part if the loan's approved uh, most people get their funds the next business day over 400,000 people have used Upstart to pay off credit cards and meet their financial goals. Free yourself from the burden of high-interest credit card debt and get back to using your money the way that you want to with Upstart. See why Upstart has a 4.9 out of 5 rating on Trustpilot. And go to upstart.com dailybeans to find out how low your Upstart rate can be. Checking your rate only takes a few minutes. That's upstart.com dailybeans. Your loan amount will be determined based on your credit, income, and other certain information provided on your loan application. Not all applications will qualify for the full amount. Hey, everybody, welcome back. It's time to Flip It Blue. Joining me today for the Flip It Blue segment is Nate McMurray. He is the Democratic candidate running in New York's 27th district. His opponent is Chris Jacobs, who voted apparently by accident on a bill. Uh, We'll talk about that. And uh, there are many unions that support Nate McMurray, including um, teachers, construction trades, nurses, food workers, etc. So please welcome to The Daily Beans, Nate McMurray. Nathan, how are you? I'm grateful to be on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited to talk to you because this is a really, really interesting and unique district that you're running to represent New York's 27th. And I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about the history of the the district and some of the characteristics of the district. Well, I say. I think I should start off by saying that, sadly, this is kind of the birthplace of Trumpism. And don't hold that against us. We're fighting back. But this is where Michael Caputo's from and where Chris Collins is from, who's the first one to support Trump in Congress. And Palladino, Carl Palladino, is another one of Trump's uh, nefarious supporters from the region. And I think, in some ways, Trump started his career here because this is where he came to buy the Buffalo Bills and he became acquainted with all these people. But even before all of that, 
uh, NY27 has a troubled history. It was the it was the Tom uh, Reynolds seat, who was one of the most powerful people in Congress once upon a time, not too long ago. And Mr. Reynolds wanted to design a seat that was impossible to lose. And his quote was, he wanted to vote like a Southern Republican in New York State. So they divided up the districts and they used a lot of pressure on the local legislature and they got NY27. And he resigned in disgrace. And if I'm boring with any of this, let me know. I'm sorry to give you, but he resigned in disgrace. The Mark Foley scandal, uh, if you look back, he was he was replaced then by Chris Lee, or he, he re, excuse me he retired in disgrace. Then Chris Lee came, and you may remember him. He's the gentleman who took his shirt off on Craigslist and was he resigned in embarrassment. What is going on in your <laughs> district, dude? Because like you know. even mentioned the Buffalo Bills, and right now Trump's organization is under criminal investigation by the Manhattan DA for falsifying assets to get that loan to buy the Buffalo Bills in the first place. It is just rife with now i'm next to california 50 where we had duncan hunter uh so we have a little bit of that but continue please continue sure well in the the bill story i mean if there's a great gq article about this and how michael caputo helped him do all kinds of of astroturfing and attacking bon jovi etc if people want to look it up but yeah trump came here and then you had reynolds and you had chris lee resigned in disgrace then you had chris collins who many people may know about along with duncan hunter he was convicted of insider trading and also using his office for inappropriate purposes. Uh, and uh, he goes to jail next week. And I ran against him in 2018 and we, before he was convicted, and we had the closest race in the country. We came within 0.37%. And now we have Chris Jacobs, who is from a billionaire family, completely unconnected to the people who live here. This is one of the most struggling districts in the country. It has the worst job market in the country. And he is truly one of the one percenters. And uh, his first big act in Congress was to vote by mistake. So you may have recalled that. <laughs> Oopsie. Right? It'd be funny if it wasn't so tragic. But yes, that's that's where we are. You have one job. You have one job. Well, many, many jobs. But like really reading bills and voting on bills on behalf of your constituents is a pretty big one. And uh, <laughs> just to uh, right. to fail at that uh, is astounding. So, um, but besides, I mean, you know, it's it's pretty obvious in this election, and pretty much in any district that you're in, or any precinct that you're in, if, or nationally, or in Senate races, that we're voting against absolute corruption and crime and criminals. However, right. There are things that we have to get done. There are things we are voting for. And I wanted to talk mm-hmm. about that with you because you, uh, your platform has so many important things in it. And healthcare right now is one of the big touchstones of this election because we are in the middle of a pandemic. The Trump administration and his, his Republican acolytes in Congress in the House, ones you're running against, are trying – Uh, actively right now arguing in court to gut the Affordable Care Act, kick millions of tens of millions of people off of their insurance policies and try to stifle the expansion of Medicare and Medicaid. And you're running on a a Medicare for All platform. Can you talk about that? Yes. uh, I'm proud of my platform. I run um, Medicare for All. I believe in confronting climate change head on. I've always fought for these things. And I want to remind everyone listening that 
in the reddest district in New York, a district designed for any Republican to win, we almost won twice. And we are, again, neck and neck. And it's because Medicare for All and some of these other issues that are considered, you know, too left are actually very popular. They're populist messages that people resonate with or people respond to. So I, I've been very, I don't hide what I stand for. Um, I'm not a radical person. I, you know, I'm a, a corporate lawyer. I spent most of my life as a corporate lawyer, which is supposed to be this horrible thing in democratic politics. But I'm someone from a business background. And I understand the importance of business, but I also understand the importance of helping regular people. I grew up one of seven. My father passed away when, he, when I was four years old. My mother raised us all by herself. We survived because of Social Security. We survived because my father had uh, some a decent job as a union worker before he died. So, so I will always fight for middle class. When people here ask me what I stand for, I don't say I'm left or right. I say I'm middle class, and I'm going to fight for working class people and working class values. Yeah, and and the the Medicare for all healthcare plan is not only uh, a model that most Americans want uh, because it works in every single other. Uh, Western country that on the planet, uh, it saves right. money. It it drives down costs. It improves the quality of healthcare because it's based on evidence based outcomes. Because it's uh, you have to be a steward of the taxpayer dollar. If people would just look at right programs like Medicare and the VA, for example, I'm a disabled veteran. That is socialized medicine, and it's wonderful, and it works, and it's it got the it's the you know highest customer service rated model and best health outcomes, and it gives people access to timely quality healthcare. And uh, I think. That yeah, it's it's weird that people try to shame people for you know being being in that camp. But it you know if it weren't for my health care and my education that was gifted to me for being a veteran, uh, I wouldn't be uh, the contributing member to society that I am. And I think every single American deserves those things. Really beautifully stated, and I agree with you. And I should add that we're up on the Canadian border up here, and you no, know, just across the way they have you know, single payer healthcare for every single, every single person. And a lot of the people that live on the border here either have friends or family in Canada. And let me tell you, it's whenever, every time someone says we can't do it, I'm like, well, they do it two miles away across the river. We can absolutely do it. And every developed country has some form of universal coverage. And the only reason I came so close in this district in the past is because I was relentless about preaching to people, we need to have health care for every single American. And I believe it's a winning issue. And I believe it's probably the most important issue I fight for. Yeah. And it is, I think, having spoken to so many candidates right now um, for, for the House, I'm working on the House. I got friends working on the Senate. I'm working on the House uh, because we definitely need to hold the House. Uh, that's where the purse strings are. That's where there's just a lot of power there and a lot of important issues that go, that go through the House. And, and we have a, a fairer representation than we do in the Senate, for example. Uh, and, and that is what brings the people's voice to the White House and to the to both Absolutely. to both houses and uh, of, of Congress, it is the check of, of and balance. It is the, the you know the division of powers, and it's so so important. But that yeah, we we definitely have to think about what the people need and want, and and they should be represented as such. And that's why this gerrymandering and the you know drawing the districts you know custom districts right. for Republicans is so dangerous. 
And I want to talk a little bit about, because I know you want to fix that as well, but you also, all these things are tied together. Talk about job creation, because tying healthcare to employment has, we have seen the disastrous result of that during this pandemic with 40 million people out of work and the gig economy, uh, people having to pay 13, 15, $1,600 a month for healthcare for themselves. But this job, your job creation platform, you want to incubate small businesses and partner with schools and industries to employ residents. I think that is so very important. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, education is is already one of the leading employers in our region, but I also want to build infrastructure. I, I listen, the infrastructure in Western New York is a hundred years old. There's, there's towns here that are absolutely beautiful. They're the red brick main streets. It's like Norman Rockwell, but just after 50 or 60 or even 70 years of neglect, some of these towns have sewage systems that are based on wooden pipes. And we just do not have an infrastructure for the future. I don't understand why President Trump or any person that's in government today hasn't pushed harder on infrastructure. Whether it's green energy, which all the unions that support me want, and they all want to work on that, or broadband, rural broadband. Uh, I always tell people up here, 100 years ago, America had the moxie to line the country with copper wires for telephone and electric. Why don't we have the moxie to line the country with glass wires for broadband today? It's a low-hanging fruit that would help improve the economy of places like Western New York, and we just refuse to do it. We, we, we almost don't want to have the guts to take on these big projects. So I believe if you focus on even infrastructure alone, it would create so many jobs for the people of Western New York and would allow people to come back and live here. Well, Republicans know deep down, and they've said it out loud with their mouths, that an educated electorate is the downfall, the death knell of the Republican Party. And part of having an educated electorate is supporting public education uh, and, you know, not only that, but also including broadband to reach every single resident, especially those in the rural areas. Right. And so they know they they do not want to support any project that is going to help get information to the people because that is their enemy. Um, facts are the enemy of the Republican Party. One, one thing real quick, when I was running against Chris Collins a couple of years ago, there's this, this district is huge. It's the size of Rhode Island. And, you know, a lot of it's rural, very rural. So I was in rural areas where people either said they loved Chris Collins, they didn't believe the things I was saying, or they never even heard of it. And, you know, there's there's so-called news deserts in NY27 where people do not have access to information because the information they have is either very limited, they don't have a local newspaper, or there's just some, some type of online blog or marketplace. And the penny saver is often the biggest source of news. And the penny saver is really not about news. It's about community events or community deals. And people just don't have information. So they get misled often by cable television or the, one of the worst culprits is, is conservative radio. And so you, I, I think what you're saying is right. I'm not sure the right-wing extremists in this country even want democracy anymore because they know they can't win on the issues. And it was something we all have to be aware of and to fight against. Yeah, they can't win on the issues and they can't win if everybody has a vote. Uh, so that's why they try to keep people from the polls. But you also, um, speaking of uh, <laughs> speaking of money and politics, you have a couple of things about you want to change about the governance, the way that the, that our senators and Congress people comport themselves ethically. And I want you to talk a little bit about owning individual stocks. We know Loeffler, Leffler, and uh, uh, Burr. Yep. A couple of senators have had been investigated for this, including Inhofe and even uh, uh, Diane Feinstein. But they, you know, found nothing there. 
But owning individual stocks puts you already in a compromising position. I mean, if you look at Chris Collins, the guy I ran against two years ago, who was a long time, I mean, he used his office to sell stock in a snake oil company, Australian biotech company that didn't work. He pressured regulators to approve the drugs they were making, or the drug it was making, and they felt great pressure to do so. Um, Louis Slaughter, the former congressman up here, brought a ethics uh, violation complaint against him. There was an investigation even before he was convicted for insider trading. So you have a history here as well of these people profiting from their businesses. And I, I know we're running out of time, but I should add that the guy I'm running against now, he's from one of the richest families in America. They own the Boston Bruins. They own the Boston Garden. They own casinos all across America. And I'm running against this guy. And we're running neck and neck in the polls. But you have to ask yourself, why is he running? And his family, they are next door neighbors to Donald Trump. And they have a direct interest in keeping a good relationship with Donald Trump so they can continue to have casino contracts and continue to have national parks contracts, which they have. So all of this stuff has to be examined and it has to be taken out of politics. When people go to Washington, it should be a labor of love and their primary concern should be not you know, using their position as some type of country club to network and expand their wealth. It should be there, going there to do the service of the people and to serve the people they represent. Absolutely. Uh, We need to be expanding the wealth of the middle class and the working class in this country and lift people out of poverty. We don't need to be giving all that money to the gazillionaires. And speaking of the gazillionaire you're running against, you are going to need some money. So I want to tell I want to tell all my listeners where they can find uh, your website, how to how to contribute to you, but also where they can volunteer and do text banking and phone banking and postcard writing. Where, Where can people get all that information? They can go to votemcmurray.com or they can go to Nate underscore McMurray. That's me on Twitter to follow me. But look, at I want to tell everybody out there, thank you for having me on the show. Thanks for listening to what I have to say. I know there's a lot going on in this country. But we have been a relentless advocate for a lot of the ideas a lot of your supporters believe in. We've never played it safe. That includes rallying against President Trump for the last three years in a district where he won by 30 points. And we are neck and neck in the polls, and that's not imaginary thinking like Trump does. That's facts. If you look at our last two performances, and if you look at our current polls, we're right there. So your your support, whether it's through texting or whether it's through phone calls or phone banking or whether it's through financial support, even a small dollar amounts, will help put an independent voice in Congress, someone who will continue to be the way I've been for the last three years, and that's fearless. Yeah, and that affects and impacts all Americans, no matter what district you live in, no matter what state you live in, no matter what territory you live in. So everybody, check it out and go to the website and vote if you are in New York's 27th district for Nate McMurray running against Chris Jacobs. Thank you very much for joining me on the Flip It Blue segment today, Nate. Um, It's my pleasure. Thank you so much. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the interview. Stay with us. Hey, everybody, it's AG for The Daily Beans. This portion of the podcast is brought to you by The New Yorker. I'm so proud and excited that The New Yorker has decided to sponsor us. I've been a fan of The New Yorker since I was a kid. I remember picking up my first copy. I was drawn in by the art and the design and the cartoons. And, uh, you know, we here at the podcast are so proud to have this support. The New Yorker has been the best of the best, always, in print and online. The New Yorker stands apart for its commitment to truth and accuracy, quality writing, and compelling reporting and storytelling. The New Yorker is considered by many to be one of the most influential publications in the world. The New Yorker's weekly print issues and daily online articles cover a wide range of topics with something for everyone. They have politics, news, international affairs, climate change and the environment, pop culture and the arts, 
fiction, food, humor, and of course, the cartoons. The New Yorker has become the daily digital destination for news and cultural coverage, publishing 10 to 15 exclusive site-only stories every day. In addition to that, you can use their apps, read from the online archive dating all the way back to 1925. You can solve the crossword puzzles and more. In both print and online digital issues, The New Yorker has content from the best writers in America today. Some of my favorite contributing writers include television critic Emily Nussbaum, who won the Pulitzer in 2016, and Doreen St. Felix, who covers the highs and lows of today's culture and won an Ellie Award for her columns and commentary in 2019. A 12-week subscription is just $6, and that includes home delivery of the print edition each week, which is amazing, and unlimited access to The New Yorker website. That is a 50% discount for our listeners. For a limited time, you can get 12 weeks of The New Yorker for just $6. That is a savings of 50%. Plus, listeners of our show will receive an exclusive tote bag free. So go to newyorker.com slash dailybeans. That's N-E-W-Y-O-R-K-E-R dot com slash dailybeans to get 12 weeks of The New Yorker for just $6 and a free tote bag. newyorker.com slash dailybeans. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Joining me for the interview today, I haven't spoken to him in at least a year. Back on Mueller, she wrote, host of the Dworkin Report podcast, co-founder of the Democratic Coalition, Scott Dworkin. Scott, how are you? I'm well. How about yourself? Uh, I am treading news like it's water. I am trying to keep my chin above... (laughs) above the uh, fire hose of news that's coming out. And I wanted to talk to you today specifically about this New York Times story. Two of the three reporters on this byline are also uh, two of the three uh, reporters that uh, reported back in October 2018 before the midterm elections on Trump's finances uh, based on the documentation they received from Mary Trump. And now we have tax returns over two decades worth and uh, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your thoughts um, on <laughs> on this bombshell of a story. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's pretty on par for what we expect. Uh, you know, I think it's it's something that should have been done in 2016, if possible. But obviously, they didn't have the records. So, um, however, they were able to acquire them. I think it's great for our democracy to show exactly how corrupt he was. I think one of the, one of the things that's most important is the fact that he's making foreign money while he's in office. I mean, that, that's, that's just unacceptable. The fact that he has more than one job is unacceptable. And we shouldn't settle. Uh, if the president of the United States should only have one job, and it should be the president of the United States, it should be full-time and not full-time 40 hours a week. I'm talking about 24-7. And uh, that, based on that alone, you know, that, that's why I'm uh, campaigning for Joe Biden, because for obvious reasons, but also... Like he'll do the job. He'll actually care. <laughs> he'll be a human being and he won't be uh, like this. But yeah, I think that I think that the, this unravels so much corruption from so many angles, from so many countries. And then also just the fact that it's this corrupt in the White House. And, you know, I think that uh, people are, are numb to it at this point. But also at the same point, part like 750 bucks mm. taxes. Like I paid more when I waited tables. Mm-hmm. That's. That's nuts. And and maybe, yeah, he gamed the system or whatever people will say, but he did something illegal in there. Like, there's just no way they're sloppy sometimes. Uh, they're crafty. But, you know, again, he's talking about America first. He's paying more in taxes in India, Philippines, um, Panama than he is here. And uh-huh. so I, I, I just the whole thing, I, I think that there's like hundreds of stories that can stem from this. 
Um, and uh, that that's probably that's probably the, you know out of all the stories this year, that's probably going to be the one that uh, sticks around outside of the him calling the fallen soldiers suckers and soldiers. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, I mean, that that this is the relatable story because, yes, I mean, the, the Atlantic story uh, about calling American war dead and veterans suckers and losers stuck, right? That really hit hard. And not everyone is a veteran or an active duty service member, but everyone pays taxes. Well, you know, most of us pay taxes. And uh, I think that that makes this extremely relatable and will upset a lot of people. But you're right. With $73 million he has made um, from foreign uh, countries since he took office. And a lot of that is Turnberry and golf courses. But there was a, a million bucks coming out of Turkey um, with Erdogan and uh, money, $2.2 million, I think, coming out of the Philippines. Duterte, a couple of dictatorial strongmen there. And and I think that that's worth noting. But probably most interesting is that the one time that the Miss Universe pageant turned a profit, at least a giant profit, because, you know, it turned a little bit of a profit the in 2014. It, tur- it got it got a loss. It took a couple million dollar loss in 2012. But in 2013, when it was in Russia, it made a considerable amount of money. And I'm wondering if that's not how some Russian money got into Donald Trump's pocket. Well, he definitely, he met with people while he was there verbatim. That's what he said. And, uh, you know, through that, obviously we've investigated, uh, heart, I mean, a big microscope on it, but it's, it's still not been unraveled completely. And I think from that, we don't know exactly what stemmed from that. Um, but but I would say that, you know, there's, an, there's too many questions there. And, and like, again, you know, that kind of foreign influence where someone, you know, is making money off of someone that is uh, an oligarch that has shady money ties. And like, we don't have space to worry about that. And, and like, I, I think that the, the big thing here is that means that there's more money. Because there's there's no way that that's it, and I think that's the that's what's crucial here is what shell company made more money, why did it make more money, what did they do with it? Did he get a a deposit on the building that they were gonna do? Did he get a consulting fee on top of that? Did he? I mean, like, there's so many questions and so many shell corporations underneath this Trump organization money laundering pit that it it's just it's it's grotesque, and I think it just it, it like echoes on uh, some of the biggest, uh, most corrupt things that I that I've ever seen, and I think we're what we're going to be really dealing with here in the after he leaves office, whenever that is, is the fact that we're going to have to uncover this stuff, and then we'll have to tell the American people, and that's going to be hard because hearing this stuff that he's doing and hearing the scandals that he's had and the fraud that he's committed. Um, really hurts us as a country and and makes us look weak and like a laughing stock and like we're not in control and like we're under control of a drunk dictator and you know that that's uh, what's the next step if he gets reelected god i i, I don't even want to imagine that america because i don't think it would be called america anymore
Yeah, no. And, you know, you're right. There's there's a lot of crimes in here. Even this is just the overview that we have. There's going to be details released in the coming weeks, according to The New York Times. But, you know, for example, um, his Seven Springs Ranch in up uh, an hour out of New York, 200 acres, uh, f- you know, 50,000 square foot mansion or something like that. Um, you have to, in order to get a conservation easement tax rebate on that, of uh, which he did of $21.1 million, it has to be a business uh, venture that will eventually turn a profit. But he decided to not develop it uh, and and skirted taxes, and then not only that, but got a rebate on it. And so, and he he's done that four times in the last decade with different properties um, when it's considered it's actually being used as a residence, uh, which it has, that's how it's listed on his website. So that is, for example, tax fraud. But, um, you know, also we have to consider he owes $400 million or uh, $421 million, I believe, uh, is the total. At least, at least yeah. And, and uh, that's not including interest and penalties. Who is that to? That is the big question because the the tax the New York Times says one of the downfalls of tax filings here is it doesn't say um, where this money is owed, and I think that that should be a question that people do not stop asking. No, I agree, and uh, you know he 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 does this with a lot of things, and over the years he's done a lot of lawsuits. He did it in uh, Atlantic City. He did it in New York City where he sued New York City for half a billion dollars. Um, you know, and he won tax breaks in return for for a scandal that he had helped set up in the first place. Anyways, that that's neither here nor there. But um, the the whole skirting the tax law, I mean, it's it's just wrong. So whether or not you know he's committed crimes, obviously he's committed crimes. He's a criminal. But like um, whether or not the extent of the tax fraud, I think you know we need to reset what's happening here and look at a president that a president should not be investigated. Like as in like they shouldn't be under investigation for serious crimes and still be serving as president. They shouldn't have that foreign influence potential. Even the fact that that it sits out there that 400 plus million dollars, like we have to know all those details. We deserve to know those details. He is our employee. Like he works for us. He does not, he's not the boss here. He works for us. And I, and I think that, you know, one of the things that we'll have to change is disclosure laws, uh, mental health check laws uh, in regards to um, regulations for what a presidential candidate will have to do. Um, like he, he's changing the game and he's exploited so many things that I think we'll have to overhaul um, and have like an anti-corruption task force that looks through everything that's gone on here. Because I can guarantee you that one of the biggest scandals of all will be the PPP money that was handed out and the bribes that he gave via that program um, to his friends and to himself. And so I think that that's going to be the most disgusting part where, you know, American people, millions of people, tens of millions of people are broke, getting evicted. And he's sitting there giving billions and billions of dollars to his buddies. Yeah. And so, I, I mean, like the corrupt, the level of corruption we have not seen. And, and I think that there's a smoke cloud around it right now because of the virus. So he's been able to use that as cover to just pillage, like take as much money as he possibly can. Um, and so I'm guessing that he'll be able to pay back some of that, some of that debt um, or he'll go bankrupt again or, he'll, you know, he'll figure some way to weasel out of it. But uh, 
you know, I don't, I don't think he's ever, he hasn't had his, his finances this scrutinized ever. Like it's never been under this much of a microscope. So they're going to get to the bottom of it. There's no doubt about it at this point. This cracks it open. So, um, you know, good luck to him. Mm. Yeah. And I also wonder how this will impact the tax, how, you know, the House Ways and Means case that's tied up in court right now trying to get his tax returns because they want to um, create or change the legislation of the presidential tax audit program. How did this slip by? And I think this legitimizes the reason for the House Ways and Means Committee to get a hold of these taxes. Um, I mean, obviously, the New York Times already has them. And I think the Manhattan DA already has them. Uh, I think he just needs Mazar's information to see if there's any other different uh, ties to foreign influence. But, um, uh, you know, that's been stuck in court. It's been stalled in court, the House Ways and Means. Remember when Richie Neal subpoenaed his tax returns and, and the House Ways yep. and Means Committee is supposed to get any taxes they ask for? And, of course, he fought it, still fighting it, stuck in the district court. And, uh, you know, maybe this will give more ammunition to those prosecutors or excuse me, not the prosecutors, but the House Ways and Means Committee to, you know, to justify their legislative purpose here. Right. And all, all we want is the truth. We just want to know who he's owned by because he's not operating on his own demeanor. Like this is this is all. I mean, it's it's just it's just so bad for the country on so many levels. I mean, and you're going to see all these stories come out now. But again, you know, when you have people like myself and you digging around, if Biden were to be elected and helping lead the charge on on digging into this stuff even further, um, like there's not going to be anyone who's given mercy in regards to the courts and in, in regards to prosecution um, we will make examples out of people uh, in regards to justice and the law um, so that we can reestablish in this country that this is a country that's ruled by law. But at the same time, I think we can, uh, you know, become a better country at the end of the day here uh, due to this. And and I think, you know, one of the things is, and I've always gotten about the House, um, which is interesting, but like, they should have they should have just been thrown thrown a book at him immediately the second they took like everything every with inherent contempt and all that everything everything that you possibly could do if you could arrest people arrest them if you could like it, it people and, and it led to it was not their fault but um you know eventually all this corruption all this uh, interference from 2016 led to the mismanagement and corruption around the virus which led to obviously Americans and, and other people dying in America. And, and that's, that's like, you know, that's where it comes down to, okay, so at what point is it a domestic terrorist attack against his own people where he's spreading the virus intentionally at an event just, you know, because he wants to have good poll numbers or look good or get applause? Um, and, and at what point is that an attack against America? I think, you know, him knowingly having events and using masks as weapons and using the virus as a weapon against the American people, using Twitter as a weapon against the American people. Um, I think, you know, all this stuff makes us a little numb, which is good uh, in some aspects as, you know, he could say pretty much anything right now and it's not going to rattle us to our core. It's not going to shock us. It's not going to, you know, be like in 2016 where it's like, oh no, what's happening in this October surprise? Like, well, what's going to happen here? I mean, that happened with 
like Project Veritas dropped something yesterday that's already gone. Like I know that they're going to try and expand the story. He'll push it or whatever. But I think people are finally, at least most of Americans are finally looking at everything and they're analyzing everything and they're not, they're not just taking the top lines of the news articles anymore. They're digging in. Like I've even had people critique me at some points. Like they're like, wait, you, you didn't, you didn't had this bit about it. So it's not fair to uh, comment on, on Barrett that way. Um, you got to have the whole video, like something like that, where it's, it's like, well, no, I don't, but, but, but it's just like, we have a more educated electorate. It seems now the whole thing, all of this, everything that's happening right now has to do with people representing us, um, that do not represent the population that have cheated their way into office that have lied and stole and made the laws so that they could gerrymander and cheat the system. And, and, you know, now they're maxed out. They're, they're outnumbered. <clears throat> and so they don't have the opportunities to, to do as much as they'll, they'll be able to do because they, they've run out of options. Um, so, it, you know, it's going to be very interesting with the tax story. Another thing with the tax story, um, this hits Senate races hard. This is like you, you, Lindsey Graham, this is devastating for him. This is not, uh, you know, he's too close to Trump and friends that live in South Carolina that were on the fence. And I don't know why I'd be friends with someone who's on the fence at this point, but I still am. Uh, you know, they, they just like, they, I can't vote for this guy. This idiot is supporting Trump. Like, and so they, they look at that. It just seems like people are looking at this through the lens of other people who have supported him as being just as corrupt. Why would you, you knew this guy wasn't paying tax. You knew all this stuff and you still supported him. Um, and I think that that's, that's the reckoning really in regards to elections, um, where, you know, people, people don't realize it's something as simple as this that can just end your career. And, and finally, I think most of these Republicans deserve that more than anyone is to get voted out of office. And we've even spoken about in 2022 supporting Republican primary uh, primaries in, in states that it's impossible to win as a Democrat um, or independents as, as well. So, I mean, like this is this is the beginning. And and so no matter what happens on Election Day, we're not stopping. We're not going to slow down. Um, but, yeah, tax returns. I, I wish that he had uh, we had we'd gotten this four years ago because he I don't think he would have ever gotten elected I, well maybe he would have anyways but like i i just i i think i hope that this had come out earlier but at least it's out now and not in december or november you know yeah and um i i yeah i think i think you're right there that would there will be a senate reckoning not just the white house um at the election but these investigations will continue well beyond uh, this election, uh, despite the outcome. So we look for—I look forward to that. I know you do too. So, thanks for chatting with me today, Scott. It's been a while. Can you tell everybody where to find you and your podcast? Am I allowed to call you by your name? Yeah, you are now. I know. I, know. <laughs> I saw you updated it on the, on the site. Uh, you know, I, I'd say for for this, go to masksnow.org. That's a nonprofit that we started that uh, sewing masks for um, it, w- it was supposed to be for patients, but you know, so many medical professionals were lacking it um, that we started making them for them. And so it's been distributed over 200,000 masks now. And so uh, that's one of the things I'm really, really proud of. If you want to help out for the last weekends here, we have over 2000 hours committed for uh, volunteering. 
and uh, you can visit democraticcoalition.org to find out more about that. And if you want to check out my podcast, the next episode is with Martin Luther King III, um, dworkinreport.com. Thank you for having me on the show. Thank you for all uh, your work that you've done to help uh, push everything. The truth is, is uh, obviously it matters, as Vinman would say. Um, the truth matters, and, and, and uh, thank you for standing by it, and especially when you know everything was against you. And, and I'm just so glad you came out this other side. Um, you know, you're still with us and you're still pushing. And so mad respect to you. you. You too. Thank you for all of your work and the work of the Democratic Coalition and your podcast. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to seeing you in D.C. again soon uh, when all this is over and when we're allowed to go out outdoors <laughs> and we can have we can yeah. have a drink together. Scott, I appreciate it. We'll do a shoe handshake, <laughs> you know. <laughs> But I, I do. I, I I look forward to that as well. Uh, and I hope you have as good of a day and a good of the last uh, few days here. Thirty six day, um, thirty six days mm-hmm. left. Anyways, everybody vote, vote. If we vote, if we all vote, we win. That's the bottom line. Yep. Vote. Vote in numbers too big to manipulate. Host of the Dworkin Report, co-founder of the Democratic Coalition, Scott Dworkin. We'll see you soon. Take care. Everybody stick around right after this break. We'll have the good news. Stay with us. Hey everybody, it's AG for The Daily Beans. We all know our health is the most valuable thing we have right now, and nowadays we're focusing on our well-being. But I prefer to still avoid going to a doctor's office. Thankfully, there's a practical and affordable way to take control of your health and get personalized care from the comfort of your home. Steady MD, S-T-E-A-D-Y, M-D. It's your personal doctor online. You start by taking a quick quiz and get matched with a licensed primary care provider who understands your lifestyle and your health needs. Next, you get a one-hour intake appointment with your doctor to start a real, actual relationship. And after that, your doctor's available anytime by text, phone, or video chat. Unlike other services, this isn't a random doctor on call. Each steady MD doctor has a limited number of patients on their panel, so they have time to listen and give you the personal attention you need. I took the quiz, and they matched me according to my individual health and lifestyle with a great doctor. Um, steady MD can help you get and stay healthy, manage chronic conditions and concerns, reduce stress, lose weight, sleep better, feel better, boost your immunity, especially during this pandemic, so important, and much, much more. While still in the serenity of your own home, you can be in your jammies, skip the waiting room and the germs. Prescriptions are sent directly to your home or a local pharmacy, and you get unlimited access to your doctor for just $99 a month. No additional visit fees or co-pays. SteadyMD will even help you understand and get the most out of your health insurance, but insurance is not required. SteadyMD is now accepting all members of all ages in all 50 states. So go to SteadyMD.com slash Daily Beans to take the free quiz and see which doctor is a perfect fit for you. SteadyMD.com slash Daily Beans. There's no risk and no long-term commitment to get started. That's Steady, S-T-E-A-D-Y, MD.com slash Daily Beans. And we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. We have a lot of good news submitted, and I'm so excited to get to it. I really need it, although I have to tell you that this news that is coming out right now is so fucking exhilarating. All of this Channel 4 stuff about Parscale, this Flynn, that that Flynn and his shitbag lawyer could be falsifying FBI records, and of course the, the Trump tax dump. This is massive, and it's and there's just there's more to come. Wait until you see what else comes out. There's... <laughs> more happening 
And so I'm exhilarated by it. But now I like I want to eat up the good news and I want to tell you all about everybody's good news that they submitted and their confessions. And you have corrections you can submit here, too. You can just go to dailybeanspod.com and click contact and you can send in your personal or political good news stories, your corrections for when I fuck up. And, uh, of course, your confessions if you want to do some confessions, too. All right. So first up, sent in from Andy, pronouns she and her. Andy says, good news is for the birds. Here's what she means. In 2019, my sister and I shared a thrilling sight of several California condors in Arizona as they took their first morning flights. We wept tears of gratitude that these giants, down to a population of 22 before being rescued from extinction, are thriving. Back to the future, over the weekend, I watched YouTube as four new one-and-a-half-year-old condors were released and took their first flights in the wild. I wept again, thrilled, also missed my sister. I wore the condor shirt she painted for me in honor of the occasion. In these dark days for the environment, good news about the natural world is particularly comforting. Thanks for always reminding us that there's still so much to be grateful for. Andy, that is incredible. Um, I just, you know, the last time in the... Right before we went into lockdown, I, I'm a, a zoo member at San Diego Zoo. They have a whole group of conservationists working to bring back the California condor after Johnny Cash almost killed them all uh, single-handedly when he, I think, started a forest fire when he was drunk. Um, but they, they tell that story every time you take the bus tour and I take the bus tour every time I'm a sucker for it. And I love it. And I love hearing about that. And that's just so beautiful and amazing. I'm sorry that you can't be with your sister right now. Um, maybe you could do some sort of socially distanced visit in the middle of nowhere and watch some more be released, but it's, uh, wonderful that you wore the shirt and that's just a very uplifting story. So thank you for sharing it. Next up, from Ben, pronouns he and him. This is awesome. A bit of personal good news, entirely unrelated to anything political or beansy. I got a new medal today. It's admittedly the most boring medal the British Army has to offer. It's called the Long Service of Good Conduct Medal. And I've got it for being incredibly boring and well-behaved for 15 years. But it makes me happy, and it's very shiny. I would love to be able to make this more interesting by adding a roguish confession about being a bad... Uh, being a cad bounder who was lucky enough to avoid being caught but there aren't any i am indeed that boring thank you for all you're doing keeping us sane in these difficult times although i'm not from the united states and have no say in what happens there in november and quite rightly too foreign interference is bad no matter who it comes from but there are many u.s service people and veterans who i care about deeply after time abroad with them and your show helps me keep up to date with the madness in the way that i can even understand Please keep up the good work. Congratulations. This is beautiful. There's a picture of the medal. We'll put it out in the thing. Long service and good conduct. <laughs> Congratulations, Ben. That's really incredible. Even keeled, Ben. Steady, Ben. <laughs> good job, Big Ben. Big Ben Parliament. Uh, all right, next up, there's your movie reference for today. From KB, pronouns he and him. Hey, Beans team, feeling good, wanted to share. A while back, you got a very feel-good news story about a grandmother that was able to quarantine for two weeks and finally visit her grandchild. They called her Mom-Mom, and there was some confusion with Jordan and AG because that's not a common term for grandmothers. Anyway, it was a great story and fun for me because that's what we call our grandmother, too, and I've never heard anyone else use the title. So we call our 96-year-old grandmother Mom-Mom. And our kids call her Big Mom Mom. And for a long time, she was the lone liberal in our family. That is, of course, until I had my sort of political awakening during the early 2000s, married a public school teacher, and started making a little liberal baby girls that 
uh, are going to cause all sorts of trouble for the Mitch McConnells of the future. Yes, thank you, KB. Big Mom Mom lives with Trumpy Mom and Stepdad (laughs) and doesn't get out these days other than doctor's visits. So I pick up books for her since they won't. She just finished Mary, Tr- Mary Trump's book and passed it back to me for, to read when I dropped off her copy of Compromised last week. Big Mom Mom would love you guys. Oh, that's fucking great. Anyways, uh, I usually help her vote. She usually votes in person, but due to COVID, she decided she wanted to do mail-in this year. I helped her get an application, and then when her ballot came in, I acted as her witness and made sure she got everything down uh, done according to the guidelines. Because of Trump and DeJoy's attempts at post office fuckery, she was worried about the mail, even though we're a month out. So one afternoon last week, I loaded up Big Mom Mom and my two girls, ages 6 and 20 months, (laughs) in the car, and we drove down to our county board of elections. The toddler got car sick and threw up all over the back seat, but after we got that cleaned up, uh, we got Big Mom Mom's walker, got our masks on, and got it done. They had everything set up outside. Poll workers there were to provide assistance. There was one short form for her to fill out uh, to log that she was submitting her ballot, and then she was able to drop it in the box. North Carolina is using an online tracking system this year, too. So within a couple of days, we were able to see that her vote had been accepted. Every vote matters. There aren't good excuses for sitting on the sidelines. Big Mom Mom gets it. And if she can get out there with her mask and her titanium hips and her car sick babies and get it done, anybody can. Be like Big Mom Mom and let's get this done. I know I'm preaching to the choir here. Sorry. Love to all. But thanks so much for everything that you do. That is so wonderful. She put that out like on a social media that's a beautiful story um next up from celeste pronouns she and her i was just listening to the good news block for monday show and a fellow celeste wrote in about a school board race in clark county i wrote in over the summer about starting a new career in teaching in clark county i remember this after losing my first post-college job due to COVID in march i'm new to the area and don't know anyone not even my co-workers due to virtual teaching so i have plenty of free time i will be taking celeste's advice to support jeff profit in clark county in all that free time, I signed up to get updates and donated. Not much because I'm on a budget and every dollar counts. But I found a local group I can volunteer with support and progressive candidates in all the free time I have. Celeste, meet Celeste. You guys should hang out. Clark County. The Clark County Celestes. For profit. I like it. We'll make shirts. Next up from Jane. No pronouns given. I live in deep red Louisiana, but I do live in a small bubble of blue. Our local parish president is a Democrat. Our representative to the Louisiana legislature is a Democrat. And our wonderful governor, John Bell Edwards, uh, is a Democrat. I felt helpless because it's pretty much a foregone conclusion that Louisiana will vote overwhelmingly to reelect Trump. Despite the fact that out of 3 million registered voters, 1.3 million are Democrats, 900,000 are Republicans, 790,000 are other parties. I can't figure out how Republicans have a complete lock on this state. I guess my Dems, my Dems just don't vote. After listening to your podcast, especially the Flip It Blue segment, I've decided to sign up as an electoral commissioner, Louisiana's term for an election worker. The training is this week, and I've convinced my sister to sign up for training to be electoral commissioner as well. I feel a real obligation to ensure all Louisiana voters have the opportunity to vote freely and fairly. And then there's a picture. Oh, and it's got a tiny baby. The baby's not mentioned. Oh, no, this is for the next story. That's why. (laughs) I'm like, why is there a picture of a baby about that one? That was a, This picture goes with this next piece of good news from anonymous pronouns she and her. Dear AG and the whole Daily Beans pod fam, long-time listener, first-time writer, big fan, love all you do and value your hard work in keeping us all informed on the dumpster fire that is the new normal. Something for your good news block. I just had a baby and you gained a new listener. 
of Valina Anna. Oh, what a beautiful name. Was born on September 20th. It's been a hell of a week, but we're finally catching up on last week's shows. That's okay, Anonymous and Valina. Ben Valina's mom. You can take a break. <laughs> Thank you for your phenomenal reporting and keeping us sane. This, oh, oh we, we're going to include this in the newsletter if that's okay. This is a precious, precious little angel baby. And beautiful mom. Oh, my gosh. You guys. <sighs> Next up, from Gerald, pronouns he and him. I took a short backpacking trip with my 13-year-old over the weekend. I was singing Mr. Blue Sky by <laughs> Mr. Blue Sky by ELO when I sang the words, please just tell us why you hide away for so long. My son shouted, tax fraud. <laughs> I knew he was listening along with us. The news of the New York Times got impetuses taxes just came out a day later. That's amazing. Oh, that's amazing. You psychics, little psychic children. Next up from Natalie, pronouns she and her. My partner and I adopted our new dog. Jed Barklett, two weeks ago, and we're absolutely in love with him. Jed was a rescue dog from Thailand who had a rough life on the streets, and we're so happy to be able to give this sweet boy a safe and loving forever home. He's still nervous and jumpy, but he's opened up so much in just the past two weeks and now happily wags his tail when we approach him. I never had a dog before. I didn't expect to fall head over heels as quickly as I did. This has been a rough year, and Jed Barklett has brought light, a, a light that I didn't think possible. Thank you for getting, for letting me gush. I adore this pod and couldn't wait to share this great news with the Beans family. <gasps> this puppy is so cute. And we will send pictures out. We will send this picture out in the newsletter. Oh, my gosh. All right. Finally, from Anthony Aguilar. Greetings. I am a playwright. Much of my job is about fictionalizing reality, but after the 2016 election, reality doesn't make any sense. I am the son of an immigrant mother, and unfortunately, I have grown accustomed to seeing politician after politician scapegoat immigrants for the problems that were actually the result of corporate greed. When the Donald decided to run for office, the demonization of immigrants was no longer Trojan horsed with strategic political policy, but replaced with flat out in your face hatred. I slept in the day after the election, only wake up feeling groggy with a blurred understanding of how we got here. But after randomly seeing someone recommended Mueller, she wrote on a Twitter thread, I now fully comprehend how a con artist was able to obtain the highest position in the power and the system that led him there. I'd like to thank you for your knowledge and return the favor by sharing some of my work. I've written a series of plays about a Mexican immigrant factory worker who becomes a superhero named El Verde. Verde, meaning green card in reference to his green card, or meaning green, Verde is green, reference to his green card. In a recent study, it was found that 88% of Latin, Latino immigrants portrayed on TV are either incarcerated or the perpetrators of crime. 88%. Wow. I believe the portrayal of Latinx immigrants needs to move away from the single narrative of being a burden on our society and instead should be uplifted as the heroes of their own stories. I invite you and the listeners to watch one of our episodes for free at elverdeshow.com. Everybody, that's elverde, V-E-R-D-E, show.com. Thank you for your bravery. Keep fighting the good fight. Hope you enjoy. This is amazing. I love the photo. And Anthony, you'll be delighted to know that... Immigrants can no longer be portrayed as a burden because they pay more taxes than the president. Thank you, everybody, for sending in your good news stories. Uh, please send your stories, confessions, everything, corrections to us by hitting contact on our website, dailybeanspod.com. And I very much look forward to it. And thank you. I know this was a long show, but we had a lot of news to get to, and it's only going to keep coming 
trust me there is big shit coming more shit coming and you don't want to miss it stay tuned you'll get all on daily beans pod i will bring it to you until then everybody please take care of yourselves take care of each other take care of the planet and take care of your mental health i've been ag and them's the beans the daily beans is executive produced and directed by ag and jordan coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie mazell and starburns industries our marketing manager executive assistant production and social media direction is amanda reader Fact-checking and research by A.G., Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com.